Um, hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Jamie. And I'm Corey. And welcome to another episode of Emotional Duct Tape. Uh, Corey, we are a week out from Christmas, um, you know, and I'm just wondering how are things going there? It's it's rough this week. It's um, to be completely transparent, as we are in this podcast, um, I've it's been a hard week. My son is he's three and a half and he's been going through some really bad like I think separation anxiety um, to the extent that like he's not sleeping like he should. And so he wakes up at 630 on the dot every day, some days at 530. And but he goes to bed and he we put him to bed at a, a rational time, like seven o'clock and he's not sleeping until nine, 10 o'clock in the evening. And that affects his behavior the next day and it affects daycare. And we're trying to um, navigate that. So that makes it really hard. Um, and then we know just the reality of what his life is right now. You know, he, he knows that he used to get to play in a playground all the time and he used to, so that's really been my big stress is just being a parent right now. Um, work stress is, is a little bit alleviated this year. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where my headspace is. It's kind of focused on trying to help my, my son be as, as um, well-rounded as he can be without dragging my own emotional insecurities and baggage <laughs> into it. So Sure. Well, I don't think it's any reflection of your parenting. I think it's just a reflection of the times and the fact that, you know, it's probably, it's much harder for him to get his energy out every day and things like that. So, you know, it is affecting things, but, um, you know, hopefully you know, you guys have some time together over the holidays that, you know, it'll kind of iron things out and you'll be able to spend time together and maybe it'll, I, I feel like with that age, you know, one week they go through something and the next week it's, it's, they're, they're on to something else. Exactly. You know? um, how, how about you? How are you doing? Good, good. I'm super excited for Christmas. Um, making plans for, uh, for Christmas Eve. I'm going to make a ham. Um, Alton Brown's city ham recipe, the best, the best thing I've ever had. Um, so I make it every year for Christmas Eve. Um, and so I'm looking forward to that and kind of just, you know, I'm getting the, like, it's the end of the year. I'm kind of checked out at work. I hope they're not listening to this or they will maybe in, in, in hindsight, um, I'm still working. Um, just, you know, a little bit more in the, like, looking forward to, you know, vegging out in my PJs for a few days and just relaxing. So yeah. Um, so anyway, enough about us. Um, we have a very wonderful guest today, and I'm super excited um, to have her on because uh, Corey and I both happen to see her story on Snapchat and say, oh my goodness, we would love to speak to her. Um, so I'd like to introduce everyone to Tessa. Um, some of you may even know of her. Um, her social is at Living Waterless, um, and so um, I'm going to pass it over to Tessa to tell us her story um, and uh, get to know her better. Well, hi, I'm Tessa. It's so nice to be here. Thank you guys so much for, you know, seeing my story and thinking it was important enough to share with people. I really appreciate that. Okay, so, wow, my story. It's a long one. I've had aquagenic urticaria now for 14 years. Um, so aquagenic urticaria means I'm allergic to water, and that includes sweat, saliva, tears. Um, it's other people's bodily fluids. It's my bodily fluids. It can be rainwater, lake water, ocean water, distilled water, tap water, anything that has water in it, it's um, going to react with me pretty strongly. That's so wild. I mean, uh, because we are taught from a young age, 
your body is made mostly of water. Drink more water. So you're you're I mean in a in a nice way of saying you're like a complete contradiction to what what we're all told in life. I mean, <laughs> that's wild. Yeah. Um, and something that people, like you said, people always get so freaked out over the, well, you're made of water. So how can you be allergic to that? Like, are you allergic to yourself every single day? Um, and so what I always have to tell people is, you know, an allergy is your body overreacting to a foreign substance or foreign coming into your body and thinking that, okay, this is a problem. I don't recognize what this is. I'm going to have a reaction to it, thinking your body can be in danger for some reason. But again, it's water which is what most people need to function regularly um so the water actually already in my body already in the cells doesn't have a reaction with me at all because my body already sees that as a cohesive part of my system um but if it's water entering my system through like my gi tract or if it's on my skin um that is when it will cause a problem so something people always then wonder is are you super dehydrated? Like, how do you maintain, I don't know, some level of just functioning? And I drink primarily whole milk, and it has to be an animal product. It can't be like nut milk or oat milk or milk made from plants. Because a good analogy for it is if you've ever eaten something spicy, and you drink water afterwards, and it just keeps burning. But if you drink milk after it, it kind of soothes it. What's happening there is like the fats and the proteins in the milk actually kind of coat the receptors in your internal lining. And when it does that, it makes it so the kind of spice is being pushed through and isn't having a reaction with you anymore. And that's what it does with me for water. It coats those surfaces and some of the water can then kind of make it through into my cells and hydrate me a little bit, but then most of it gets flushed out really fast. Um, like if you've ever had to go to a doctor and they're like, oh, we need like a, a urine sample right as you get here. I am never prepared for that. So uh, there have been times where they're like, oh, no, we like absolutely need it. And I'll actually chug water, which hurts. But then my system flushes it out in about five to ten minutes. Um, yeah, so it's not in there for very long. And I'll use the bathroom and it honestly seems like a waste to flush because it doesn't look like anything happened um so it's very interesting seeing how my body you know regulates it and deals with water when for so many people like you said it's such a regular part of being healthy um right. were, you, were you born with with this or is this something that came on later as you got older it's likely something i was born with um i don't think it was hereditary there's also very few examples of au being a hereditary trait um, so we're thinking it was probably a genetic mutation and probably was born with it, but onset for symptoms kind of varies between people and it's usually around puberty. So I first started getting symptoms and noticing symptoms when I was about eight years old. And then it took two years of kind of personal research and consulting with doctors to then figure out what was actually going on and get a diagnosis when I was 10. So and you were so young to be, you know, recognizing that something wasn't right in your body and that you weren't feeling right and to be researching these things. I mean, that's that's wild. Yeah, I didn't think there was anything wrong, um, but my mom is a doctor, so that has made things so much easier in my life in every single sense of it. Um, 
because I was coming out of showers and I would have like raised hives on my skin and I started having like bleeding and cuts on my scalp. And to me, I was just like, okay, this seems normal. Everybody's been through this. Um, (laughs) And then my mom would be sitting next to me and notice my arm and be like, oh, like, did you, did you hurt yourself? Did you scrape yourself? And she kind of started looking at me like, oh, like, this seems like a hive. Like, did you, what'd you encounter? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it's fine. Like I've had these. And she's like, "Mm, that's probably not a good sign. Um, And so, you know, you do the logical step first, you start trying to look at what the triggers were, when did you have reactions, and we started kind of tying it to when I showered. Um, So then first it was cut out soap, cut out shampoo and conditioner, and then slowly, yeah, and then slowly try to introduce things back in again and see, okay, what was irritating you? Um, And, you know, no matter what I did in the shower, I always had a reaction. And it was actually, I went out of town and was showering in a hotel shower and had the same reaction and was like, well, I'm using all different products here. It's a completely different um, water filtration system here. I'm not in the same state. So that's when we kind of started thinking like, okay, maybe we should be researching something that could be in the water. Um, But then of course, we start seeing, you know, it's lake water, ocean water, it's anywhere I go. Um, and started noticing I have internal symptoms too, which is one of the rarer forms of AU. Um, So I have both external and internal, which always makes it (laughs) that much more fun. (laughs) Don't even worry, it's totally okay. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so having her though was really helpful and AU was not talked about. It still really isn't, um, but so trying to find things and having people say like, oh, there are these really rare forms of urticarias, like there's cold urticaria where you're allergic to the temperature of being cold, similarly with heat, um, and also there's solar urticaria that you're allergic to the sun. Um, So on those forms, you started seeing some people say like, oh, there's this other rare form of urticaria that's called aquagenic urticaria, which means you can be allergic to water, and that's just what fit the most. And then of course that then led to blood tests to check, okay, are you actually allergic to something else that's going on? Are you allergic to a mineral? Um, and then doing allergy tests and oh, getting everything ruled out. Yeah. What's really interesting though, is to think about um, you at a young age and going through this and then well, in your mind, you're thinking like, this is, this is normal. And then your, your mom going, okay, this is normal. So then I'm sure there's a process at a young age where you're going, something's wrong with me. And then there's probably a, 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 a point where you start grieving because you're like, why can't I be normal? Why am I, what, why is this happening to me? Like, I'm sure every kid, you know, every kid has a, who has a peanut allergy or a milk allergy, or whatever, they're thinking, why is this happening to me? And then I'm sure as you progressed, you know, um, as you got older in life, there's more awareness of your situation. And I bet that led to a lot of grief. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, um, you know, since I was so young then too, and the condition does progress and get worse with age. Um, so when I was younger, it was something I could manage a lot more easy. And I could pop like a Claritin and then go take a shower and I'd be fine. Um, but then, you know, it was getting pulled out of sports and realizing that, oh, when I eat watermelon, it shouldn't sting and hurt my mouth 
like everybody else is totally fine. I thought it was kind of like um, pineapple. That's something that's very acidic for everybody. And that's how a lot of fruits and vegetables feel for me. So hearing people be like, oh, yeah, like pineapple, like always makes my mouth tingle. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, apples and watermelon. And then they kind of look at me and are like, <laughs> apples. <laughs> no, that's that's not <laughs> that's not what's supposed to be happening there. Um, and when I was younger, I actually didn't tell anyone about my condition. Um, we kept it a secret just kind of in my family up until college. So for the first 10 years I had it, it was just me, my parents, my sister, and doctors. Um, so kind of pretending things were fine and still trying to swim with friends and still trying to do kind of active things and then having to be like, oh, I need to I need to go use the bathroom and then just sitting in the bathroom like panting and trying to cool down reactions and making up excuses for why I can't do certain things. And I also have asthma, but it's pretty mild. It's not that bad. But I used it as an excuse quite a bit in high school, like getting out of PE and having reactions in front of friends. I'd be like, oh, like my asthma's flaring up. I just need to go sit down or I need to go to the nurse's office. And it would actually be me having something a lot worse that I just didn't feel comfortable sharing with people yet. So it was kind of hard to grieve back then just because it was something I was still learning to deal with. And I was less grieving and more just trying to figure out like how do I hide this how do I stay secretive about this but then you know once I went to college and moved away from home I thought okay I'm going somewhere where no one knows this about me and if I have a reaction and I'm not able to take care of myself people around me need to know like oh that girl who just passed out from heat exhaustion do not give her water um because that's a pretty typical response um so then it was when I started kind of feeling more and more grief and learning that I was going to lose things without, you know, really any say in the matter. Um, yeah, so, you know, that was hard having to kind of come to that realization with age and as things progressed. One thing you said early on that, that, that put me in, in this mindset, though, was um, you said that, like, even tears affect you. So you're going through a grief process. You you can't even cry about it. Like it'll like you have to basically find a way to process your emotions and crying like is such an essential part of grieving for a lot of people. And you have to you say, I can't even cry about this because it's gonna it's gonna give me a reaction. And that's 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 rough. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's okay. You know, there's there's workarounds. Um I would usually just kind of hold like a tissue like right up against my eye. And so when I did cry, I could catch it pretty quickly, um, which is always really sad to tell people. But, um, you know, like you said, like crying is such a it's such an important and healthy part of any kind of emotion. So I've heard people kind of say like, oh, so you have to like never cry, like never hold it in. And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Like I will cry fairly often, you know. Um, and it's just kind of something that you have to accept that there's an extra layer on top of that, like having the rashes down my cheeks and the rashes kind of pulling up at your chin. And my eyes will flare up quite often because of that, too. And every now and again, I'll wake up with like an eye is swollen or just really itchy in that inner part because, you know, there is water constantly in your eyes. Um 
So it's kind of a feeling I'm okay with because I know crying is also helpful. There's just, you know, an added layer of precautions I need to take. So I'm going to ask a silly question just because I want, I want, I want, I try to inject my humor as much as I can into podcasts. Um, do you drool in your sleep? <laughs> um, <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> I'm just curious because I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a bearded guy and I drool while I sleep and I wake up and I'm like, there's a puddle. I'm like, Oh, this is gross. But I'm just curious. I'm, you don't have to answer that. If you don't want <laughs> no, to. I can't. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a chronic drooler. Um, it happens from time to time and I'll wake up with like, if I woke up with my face, like on my arm, I'll kind of like sit up and then see like a, a rash forming. And I'm like, Oh, what could it cause this as I like wipe away, like <laughs> from my mouth. Um, but I don't drool super often, but I did have a partner um, and we would uh, sleep in the same bed together, share each other's apartments sometimes. And she drooled every single night. Um, and there'd be times I would wake up and she'd be on me and I would look and be like, oh, that's, oh, that's really itchy. And I'd have oh, to like kind of no. pull away and be like, I'm not the one drooling, but I need to, I need to get out of here. Um, yeah. And then, you know, like pets, will drool on you like dogs are very drooly and that will itch from time to time but like with animals people are always like oh so you do like not let pets like lick you or like come near you and I'm like oh no like they'll lick me and I'll just kind of sit there and like smile at them and like watch a reaction form and I'm like I know you're being kind you don't you don't understand this is a little irritating but yeah (laughs) and so now you know you had mentioned that you know uh, when you were younger, Claritin worked and things like that. You know, is there anything that you can do to help, you know, maybe ahead of your showers or ahead of things to kind of help with not only the physical, but like the anxiety and all of that? How do you how do you cope and deal with those things? Yeah, so I do take medication every single day. I also do take medication for um, anxiety and depression because I think those are two things that a lot of people with chronic illnesses kind of suffer from too. Um, And I actually learned when I started taking them that the combination of a depression and anxiety med together also kind of work as an immunosuppressant. So it helps my allergy and my mental health, which is really nice. Um, Yeah. And then to avoid a lot of anxiety, I don't shower very often. Um, You guys might have seen on my page, I shower once every one to two months. Um, So not that often. But when I do shower, there's a lot of anxiety that day. So sometimes I've had to take like sedatives beforehand just to kind of calm myself down if it's going to be like a really rough day. Um, I do take, I'll maybe take like an extra dose of an antihistamine before a shower or take a stronger medication if it's, again, going to be a bad day. Like if I'm having already a lot of flare-ups, but I can't avoid not showering that day. Um, So... There is a lot kind of going into it, but medications help me so much and taking extra precautions, like just avoiding things that I know are going to hurt me and just kind of following my own routine of how do I work through these anxieties here and how do I just avoid as much water and kind of plan my days around it. Like if I want to exercise that day, which exercising for me is about like a 20, 30 minute walk, and that will wipe me out for a week. Um, I will plan to do that during a week, I have like nothing else planned and don't have to shower. Um, Because if I do it during a week where say I might have a podcast I'm joining, I would be really tired and 
not doing super well. So it's good to just plan out what's going on to kind of help reduce any anxieties or extra reactions I could be having. Preserve your spoons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Corey, I don't know if you know about spoon theory, do you? Um, so, you know, in the chronic um, illness world, um, especially with, with immune system deficiencies and things like that, there's this this idea, concept of, uh, it's called the spoon theory. And um, I, off the top of my head, plus Lyme brain, cannot remember the exact story but essentially it's, you know, this woman was explaining to her friend, how do I explain to my friend um, why I can't do the things I used to be able to do and, and, and kind of how my body works and what it feels like and what it is to, to live and, and be, you know, chronically ill. And so she used the, the analogy of spoons. And so if I have 10 spoons and we're doing this podcast, well, I'm going to give you three because... After this, I'm only going to have so many spoons left for the rest of the day. So just like Tessa was saying, you know, it's a lot of being methodical about where you put your energy, you know, as we honestly, I think a lot of people could benefit from being more cognizant of where they put their energy. Um, So maybe this is a good thing that we're talking about this, but especially with a chronic illness, you know, you don't have the kind of energy that, 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 you know, functioning people normally functioning people do. And so it's, um, I don't know, it's really interesting. And, and Tess and I have talked about being spoonies. Um, that's like the the word, but I figured this was a good opportunity to share this with you and, and with everybody else that's listening about kind of how this works. <laughs> that's no, that that's a really um, a great analogy. And I was in there like, yeah, I should probably be doing the spoon thing for myself too. Yeah, as well. absolutely. That's no, that's really unique. Um, so thinking about with what's going on and, um, you know, you're, you're finding ways to cope with the illness and to, uh, make your life as comfortable as possible. Obviously you're taking medications. Um, what sorts of, how, what other things are you using to, to help yourself cope with, with your life as it is? Because there's this, there's, there's still a morning process and I'm sure even though, you're, you know, so many years into the going through this, I'm sure there's still moments where you have lots of grief. Like, how do you find day to day to cope with, with, with your life as it is? Yeah, um, actually, the Instagram page I started was created as a coping mechanism for me. Um, so my condition seems to progress and get worse about every four years. Um, some people with AU, it's kind of like a constant progression. Some people are like me where they have more interval like progressions. Um, in my, in the end of my second year of college, I got a really bad progression and was not handling things very well. It was not doing very well. And that was really hard to cope with. I was getting a lot more symptoms that I couldn't easily manage and was being told I had to go on a steroid for the first time, which was really hard on the body. Um, and I even had a, a doctor who, I had not heard this before, but this doctor kind of very bluntly asked me, like, has any doctor told you that you're either going to die young or live a long life with low quality? Yeah. And as a 20-year-old hearing that was, I didn't really know how to function after that for a while. I kind of stopped talking to friends and family for a few months and was just trying to put myself into school and ignore 
what he had said to me because I hadn't thought about life expectancy as such a young person. Um, and so a few months down the line, I was on a steroid and was still having awful symptoms and reactions and nothing was changing. And the doctor I was seeing at the time just was ignoring what I was telling him. Um, like I would tell him I have rashes externally, maybe once a week, but I have internal reactions, maybe 10 times a week. And I need that solved. And he'll be like, okay, well, let's do something to fix that one external problem. And it was mainly him not willing to put in the work to find out how to help me internally. And so it was just a constant battle of, I need your help. And then him telling me, okay, but I could do this instead. Um, and I was in the ER, back-to-back uh, -back days. I was in the ER for about 15 hours, two days in a row. And the second night I was there, I was, you know, sitting alone in a hospital room and just really upset and not knowing what to do from here. And again, I was in college, so I was about three hours from my parents and didn't have them available to come see me and come be with me and be my support system. So I thought, okay, what if I what if I like start a page where I can just kind of very easily say what's going on with myself and share that with like my friends. And this wasn't me thinking like, I'm going to share this with like the world. It was, this is an easy way to tell all my friends at once what's going on with me. So I don't have to just be constantly saying, Oh, this is what's wrong. This is what's going on. This is what's upset. Um, so that's how my Instagram page started was just me coping with getting out my feelings and then being able to quickly tell people in my life what was happening. Um, and within about a few months of that is when it first kind of started getting recognition and attention. And that's when I started meeting other people who have AU. And that was a really big boost and was a really big support system for me that was now forming. And that helped with coping a lot because now I wasn't using just the pain of every day wasn't just pain. It was a way of teaching people and it was a way of spreading awareness and it was a way of meeting these people younger or older than me that had AU and may have just recently got it and saying like, I don't know what's going on with me. Like my doctors aren't believing me. I don't know what to do. And I could have these tips and advice and just give support because I actually knew what they were going through. Um, and so that was, a turning point that made things so much easier and kind of showed me that I had some worth uh, with my condition. Like it wasn't just something that was taking from me. It was something that I can now give to um, because it is such a unique story. I can reach a lot of people and a lot of different illnesses and have some kind of relatability, even with people who can drink water and be in water, they can still kind of find some relations with me. And that's, it was really nice. It was really helpful. And over time, you know, the progression of symptoms kind of will slowly start dying down as I get on new medications and find new precautions and figure out what my next steps are going to be. It's interesting too, because I mean, obviously it's, it's your journey and it's your, your battle to fight, so to speak. But um, having a support network, um, you know, your, your family, obviously they, they love you. They're your family of, you know, your, your mom adores you, but then to be able to find somebody who 
um, who biologically, you know, has doesn't have that connection to you. That is somebody says, "Hey, you know, I'm going through what you are." Did you mention how rare this condition is? I don't know if you said that early on or not. Uh, I don't think I have. Yeah, it's um. So I'm still kind of trying to figure out how rare it is because when I was diagnosed and throughout the ten years I had the diagnosis, really without meeting anybody else like me, I was told there could be as few of us as 32 people worldwide to a hundred people worldwide. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And so that's, that's a really isolating number um, to be told and to look online and see researchers and doctors say like, oh yeah, there's maybe 50 of you max. Um, But then last year in November, when I first got recognition on my page, I was already hearing from about 30 to 40 people who had AU. Um, And so immediately I'm thinking, okay, we're already past that first kind of threshold of numbers that I've been told this whole time. And all of them were saying this to me too, like, oh, I've never, ever met someone with this before. Isn't there only 32 of us? Um, And I would be like, well, that's what I thought. Um, But I clearly haven't spoken to every single person in the world. And I've already surpassed that number. and then recently where you guys saw me on the Snapchat Explore page again was another big boost um, of recognition for my page and for the condition. And since then, I've probably had another 50 to 60 people reach out to me with AU. Yeah, so I'm well over 150 people that I personally have now spoken to with it. So I don't think it's as rare as we've been led on to think. Um, but lots of doctors either don't believe the condition, so they don't even diagnose their patient. Like a person could go to them and say, okay, here's everything that's happened to me. Here are all my triggers. I have oxygenic urticaria. Please diagnose me. And they'll be like, I, I just don't believe it. So we're not going to diagnose you as that. We'll just keep going. And it's like, no, this is what I have. This is what I need treatment for. Um, and then oftentimes they'll go misdiagnosed, um, like mast cell um, activation syndrome is very similar in the sense that it kind of reacts to a lot of things hyperactively. Um, and so I know some people with AU have been misdiagnosed as that and vice versa. Um, so I, I do think there's a lot more of us than we're led on to believe. And I've had doctors know about my case for 12 years now. Um, and I've never even had a doctor be like, oh, let me input you into the system so that people know you're a part of this. Um, I don't even really know how they would go about adding us to that number. Um, but so as it is still rare, um, it's obviously it's still not something you meet someone every single day who has it or someone in your circle might even have it, but it's more common than people think. Um, And that's kind of why I am so overactive with talking about it and spreading awareness and trying to get the story out there so that other people who have it see, okay, this isn't just what I've been told. There's so much more and there's so many more people out there like me. Um, So that's really important to kind of fix that feeling of isolation and, you know, see there's a lot more of us. So, uh, first off, you are a rare gem in every sense of the word now. I mean, like, so I, I think that's that's amazing. You are you are so awesome for, for what you're doing now. Um, this page you started as a way to cope. It's now this 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 kind of connection point for for people like you and 
um, support and friendship and everything. Do you, I mean, do you have plans to do more with, with awareness? I mean, do you want to kind of make it, do you want to not necessarily make yourself the spokesperson, but I mean, more advocacy and awareness of what you're doing. Is that kind of where your mind is? Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I think that's what I'm happy with doing right now. And I like, I don't, there's not really like a resume for me to sign up for to say like, can I be <laughs> the spokesperson for this? But um, I definitely do dedicate the majority of my time to making content for this uh, condition specifically. And I'm hoping to get some more energy soon because, you know, I've been having people tell me, oh, you should make a YouTube channel and be able to talk about things more in depth. Um, and that is something I really do want to do is just, you know, a matter of how many spoons do I have every single day to work on that. Um, but I would love to just keep advocating for this and, you know, doing podcasts like this is so important and helps spread that. Um, and, you know, like the biggest thing I've had with grief and having to give up was like my dream job, my, the career I was working for in college. Um, I wanted to go into nursing and cause I wanted to help people who were going through health problems like I was and give them good experiences and be the person I didn't always get to have when in hospitals or in doctor situations. But then in my last year of college, things just got so much worse that um, I had to quit both of my jobs. I had to quit most of the classes I was taking and drop down to a really low level of units and was not doing well and was sick every single day and was getting disability aids on campus, like driving me to and from classes because I couldn't walk there myself. Yeah, so um, it started getting really hard and I was realizing I went to school for a psychology major um, and I was going to go into nursing school after that. And being in my last year of college, I was kind of realizing like my body can't handle this again. I can't handle going through such a rigorous program like nursing school. That's a really tough program for anyone. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to start kind of coming to terms with the goal I've been working towards this whole time is now so far out of reach that it's not even feasible for me to keep going. Um, so that's been my kind of biggest issue with grief and having to kind of tell people, you know, when you leave college, people are like, oh, what are you going to do next? Like, what jobs have you applied for? What are you doing now? And that was always a really painful question because I didn't have an answer and I never expected to be that person who left school and didn't have a path. Um, so having something like this where I can advocate on my own terms and in my own way is so helpful. So it's really nice having that as kind of a way of I can still be a health advocate for people and still kind of give some relief that I was hoping to maybe give as a nursing profession. So it is something I do want to continue with a lot. It is something I want to put more effort into creating more content for and just kind of see where it takes me. Because I've only been doing this for about a little over a year now. And already so much has happened because of that. So I think a lot more could happen. So I'm definitely going to keep going down this path of advocacy. 
That's amazing. It really is. I mean, that that in a lot of ways that that's what's pushing you, uh, keeping you going past the grief too. I would imagine it's just saying like, yeah, like I have a lot of work to do, and um, what I I mean, I'm sure you have your dark days like we all do. Just not done to just physical exhaustion, but mental exhaustion. But um, I'm sure the fact of of this work and your passion for this work is really driving you to to say, you know, like, I mean, I'm sure you want to be the kind of person that your eight year old self could have saw and said, you know, this, like, I'm going to be okay. Like, I'm, I'm sure that was probably what the one thing you wanted to hear for a long time is you're right. going to be okay. <laughs> right. Sometimes you just need somebody to, to say that you've got this and, and which you do. And, and that's something, you know, in following you um, for just a short while now, um, the way you present yourself on social media and the way you interact with, with your followers and things is just, it's really commendable. Um, so, you know, you should be proud and know that like you are making an impact and, you know, um, the, the awareness spreading of awareness, um, is so huge. Um, especially while all of this, you know, stuff is going on in the world on top of what you have going on, um, you know, keeping that joyous spirit and things will, you know, definitely continue to impact people for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So you've, you've talked a lot about stuff you can't do, but I'm just curious, like, what do you like to do? Like, what sort of stuff do you enjoy doing, like, for hobbies? Um, I've actually gotten into, you might have seen on my page a little bit, I've gotten into digital illustrations. Um, I was wondering if you made those or, or yeah, not. Yeah, those, I love them. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, would you Would you be comfortable with us sharing your grief one? Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Where it's you know your your two selves. Um, that I mean that was like something that like you know of course obviously your story resonated with me um, to begin with, but then I saw that and I said, oh man, like you know this is amazing, and the fact that you do that, like, and you make these, like, it's, they're you. really awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, it's been a really nice way to be able to use my, like, use my brain and use my hands and still be able to create something without it being so completely draining on myself. Um, I was always a STEM person growing up, you know, I was always in science, always leading in that direction. And so I never thought that what I'd be giving the most of my time to nowadays is like creativity and arts. Um, so like painting and drawing is really fun for me because I can still feel like I'm doing a lot and I won't be wiped out for weeks afterwards. Um, whereas like if I was studying for anatomy tests or taking the GRE, that would be so draining and just time consuming and I would just not have it in me. Um, but the digital illustrations have been a really fun way to tell my story in a different kind of way than just here's a photo of me, here's my caption of what I'm feeling. It's a much more visual representation of what so many of us go through. Um, and I didn't realize people didn't know that they were mine on my page for a while. Um, yeah, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> you know, like, I, I guess, but I wasn't entirely certain because of the, you know, the prevalence that that digital art is, has come. But I mean, I should have known. I should have known, especially now talking to you, I should have known <laughs> that you were that talented as well. <laughs> yeah, so many people started asking me that I was like, oh, I guess I never, I guess I never blatantly like told you guys like, oh yeah, like I 
I'm creating these. This is how I spend my time. Um, and in some of the free time I have, I've been doing commissions for people, like doing an illustration for them, and which always takes me a while just because, you know, I'm a chronic person and you can never really follow a schedule of what's going on. And I got so many more commissions than I thought I would get. So I've been kind of behind on keeping up with those. But um, I'm really glad that people like the illustrations to the point that they don't think I'm the one creating them. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you could you could totally sell some digital prints of those and start you know start uh, supporting yourself if you want to, Absolutely. or or even funding like this advocacy you're trying to create. So yeah. Very inspired by the fact that, you know, you, you, you know, kind of just, you, you created something that you never even expected you would do out of, you know, something so hard. So it's awesome. And what's awesome though is grief tries to destroy or can destroy you chose to create. And that's a really nice little like metaphor for, you know, kind of the Phoenix from the ashes, so to speak. It's great. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that we've been doing as we, you know, wrap up stories is asking um, our guests, you know, we like to say grief is blank and, um, you know, kind of get your perspective on what you feel grief is. Um, and so I know, take your, take your time, um, <laughs> put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, it sounds kind of odd, but to me, I think grief is opportunity um you know so much can come out of grief you know learning can come out of grief I know when I was at least younger and either pets would die or family members would die and you'd be at a funeral or saying goodbye and it was you know grief could be an opportunity there to just celebrate the life that's lost um and it was a way to kind of learn more about the person you lost. Like, I don't know every story about my grandparents. And then at a funeral, you meet so many of their old friends and so many people who have all these stories about them when they were younger. And it's an opportunity to learn more about who they were and who you knew them as. Um, and obviously for me, grief became a huge opportunity for me to either kind of wallow in what was given to me in life or choose to make it into something so much bigger and so much greater than just it affecting me only. I can use it to kind of affect a ton of people in a bunch of different positive ways. So it sounds a little odd, but yeah, to me, grief is opportunity. That's really profound. Yeah, that, that's that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah, like, you could have asked for a better answer, really. Um, that was actually like a really beautiful, really, really beautiful. Because you're right, it is. And um, you know, if you if you want it to be and you make it so, uh, which you certainly have. Um so yeah, you know what, Tessa, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> um it's so nice being able to talk to you and you know, um just watching your growth. I mean, um, like you said, you know, you, you started this page as a, you know, page for awareness for friends and family, and now you're impacting the world. I mean, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Thank <laughs> High five. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's so kind. I, you know, was so honored when you guys reached out to me to even do this. Um, it's kind of odd to be the person that people want to interact with you know I've never been in that position before so 
I'm I'm always so honored that people want to talk about the story and share my story. So thank you guys both so much for having me on here and giving me that platform. Most definitely, yeah. It's it's great to have you here. Um, and thanks everyone for tuning in today uh, to this really great episode. Um, we'll include Tessa uh, Tessa's um, Instagram and information in there as well, so you can um, go like her stuff. And uh, we will talk to y'all later.